Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Here's your host, John Murphy. Well, hello there and welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. This is the sixth podcast that we've done. Thanks very much for tuning in. We are uh, putting this together and posting this on Monday, October 12th. So it's a day before the Bills play the Tennessee Titans. And it's a week before the Bills are home to play the Kansas City Chiefs, just so you know what you're listening to. I think we have a good show here today, too. Coming up in just a moment, Chris Berman. I've known him for years. Uh, Chris Berman, the voice of the NFL on ESPN for decades. 41 years at ESPN for Chris Berman. He'll join us to talk about his tenure at ESPN, his current uh, tasks at ESPN, which include a Monday night segment, and his relationship with the Buffalo Bills, that sort of thing. Chris Berman, have a good time talking with him. He's coming up with us in just a couple of minutes. Also on the show today, a brand new brewing company in the United States, Athletic Brewing. Bill Schufelt, the CEO, very young guy, very progressive guy. Athletic Brewing brews craft beer, non-alcoholic craft beer. It's a great concept and a great story. We'll talk with Bill Schufeld about that coming up on the podcast today. Coming up to you on this Monday when we post on uh, October, uh, what is it, the 12th, the day after a wild Sunday in the NFL. Injuries, upsets, big wins, and the schedule's been totally altered for the Buffalo Bills and several others. The Bills had their original game against Tennessee postponed, moved back to this Tuesday night. And following that, they had their next game, the home game against Kansas City, originally scheduled for Thursday, moved back to Monday, uh, Monday, October 19th. Got to be flexible, right? Everybody's being flexible. And, you know, people, there are some uh, complainers, I guess, out there, people wondering what's fair, what's unfair with the schedule. I, I came across a quote from Vic Fangio, the uh, second-year head coach of the Denver Broncos. Now, he, his team has been impacted by this. Uh, originally, the uh, Broncos and the New England Patriots, they were supposed to play Sunday. On Friday, the game got moved to uh, Monday, moved again. It was eventually postponed. And Fangio had a good uh, perspective, I thought, in comments he made to uh, Peter King at uh, Peter King's Pro Football Talk website. He says, Vic Fangio saying this, he says, this virus has caused a lot of heartache and pain for our country in the amount of sickness, in the amount of deaths, what it's done to the economy, and what it's done to people's livelihoods, people's businesses. If we have a game postponed or moved and we're inconvenienced that way, it is minuscule compared to the bigger issue. I don't know what I think of Vic Fangio as a coach, as a person, after reading that quote and thinking about it, he's absolutely right. Yeah, the Bills uh, have moved a few games. Fans are inconvenienced. The bills are a bit inconvenienced, but it's minuscule compared to what some of the impacts have been around the country because of COVID. Our thanks to Vic Fangio for giving us that uh, perspective. Got a good podcast today. Going to talk with Chris Berman. Going to talk about athletic brewing. Um, it's been a wild week and a wild weekend in the NFL. The Bills with their schedule changed up. It's uh, okay, I guess. A couple of coaches fired in the NFL. As of now, Bill O'Brien in Houston last week. Dan Quinn in Atlanta this past Sunday. Who knows? Is Adam Gase of the Jets next? He might be. For the Bills, yes, it's been uh, disruptive. And I, I guess I have two big questions. First of all, I'm wondering how the players feel. And they have not been available for comment over the last uh, few days. They haven't been available since, I believe, Wednesday or Thursday this past week. Since then, they've had their game changed a couple of times. I wonder how they feel about the inconvenience. I wonder how they feel about going to Tennessee to play the Titans with, what, 23? Uh, it's a genuine outbreak of COVID at Tennessee. You're going to play a team that has had 23 people test positive for COVID in the last couple of weeks. How do the players feel about that? We don't know as of now. Maybe maybe they're just ready to go. Maybe. Um, and I just wonder how much 
pushback the Buffalo organization gave the NFL about the disruption in schedule, about playing a game uh, against a team that's had a serious outbreak of COVID. Were the Bills decision makers, uh, uh, Brendan Bean and uh, Sean McDermott, were they pushing back at all when it came to getting this game going? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I'm dying to know the answer to that. We don't have the answers to that on this podcast, as a matter of fact. We do have a good podcast, so we're going to talk some beer with uh, Bill Schufelt of Athletic Brewing Company, non-alcoholic craft beer. It's pretty interesting stuff. We're also going to talk some football with uh, a favorite of Bill's fans, Chris Berman, Boomer, from, uh, of course, ESPN and their NFL coverage. He'll talk to us about the Bills. He'll talk to us about the NFL and the COVID era and about what's going on in the league so far. It is Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. We're brought to you by Sullivan's Brewing Company in Kilkenny, Ireland, the makers of Maltings Irish Red Ale, of Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and, of course, Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. More on that as uh, the podcast goes along. Thanks for tuning in. Up first, Chris Berman from ESPN. Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff, a very special guest today. He is a 41-year veteran of ESPN. Uh, he is host of NFL Primetime on ESPN Plus and host of the Fastest Three Minutes at Halftime of Monday Night Football. Very happy and honored to have Chris Berman on the line with us. Chris, thank you very much for doing this. It is good to talk to you today. Murph, I feel like I'm in Buffalo, so you made me feel good. Thank <laughs> you. Good to be with you. Uh, I think you celebrated an anniversary at ESPN, or you do this month, right? 41 years this month you've been there. Well, yeah, it means I'm old. I mean, I'm 65. <laughs> I started at 24. Do the math. 41 years on October 1st. I was here. Uh, so that's about the third week we were on. I was a couple of years out of brown. I was at long hair and a mustache. Um, and for good reason, I did the 2.30 a.m. show. And... Um, and uh well the rest is history it, it's been the greatest oh my my goodness I mean I'm 65 41 I mean it's it's almost two-thirds of my life I've been here right so yeah. um and we had about 75 or 80 people then and we have a few more now yeah you know it's right you've won you've been honored by virtually everyone Chris six-time National Sportscaster of the Year, Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Pete Rozelle Award, um, and you're still doing it. Why? What keeps you going? Why do you still want to uh, do it, working as you do? Well, I, I think it's the same as you, Murph, or, or anyone in our business or another business. Why do doctors at 78 still – because I like doing you know, helping patients. I mean, I, so, look, the minute we think that, uh, for example, covering football is – boring or gets old then that kind of wasn't in our blood in the first place I mean I I'm semi-retired football season you see me uh now uh and have uh I hardly you know I don't do as much baseball I mean this year is a different year so no need to even go into it but um there were no SBs there was no Canton Hall of Fame I mean some of the things that I would pop up on just enough to make everybody know that I was still around you know it didn't happen from well, let's say the end of the Super Bowl to the start of this season, to be honest with you, but that's more the 2020 deal. So why do I do it? Because every Sunday um, you go in, you have a blank canvas, and the Chiefs lose to the Raiders, and the 49ers are two and three, or the Cleveland Browns are four and one and quiet about it, or um, – or the Buffalo Bills, as we speak at this moment, are, are undefeated. So you, you go in, 
You don't know what happened. And you know you're speaking with, not to, but really with, and I'm sure you and Steve and Eric and, you know, that when you do the games, the same thing. You're speaking with fellow fans. You happen to have the mic. I happen to have the camera, if you will. But we're speaking with. We're, we're, we're still, like, sitting in the living room together when I'm doing NFL primetime, just as we did when that show started in 87 with Tommy Jackson. And we miss him, but he lives in Ohio. We're in Connecticut. That's why he's not with us this year. Not He wanted to do it. He's older than me. So there you go. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about NFL primetime, the host of that show. It's on ESPN plus 6.30 PM on uh, Sunday streamed live on ESPN plus um, this past Sunday. And um, you're covering the day's events. There were a lot of events from uh, schedule changes, COVID, uh, Dak Prescott, um, a lot of, there, there haven't been too many Sundays like that where you were overflowing with NFL news beyond the games. There were 11 games Sunday too. Well, yeah, but I think that that's – we're going to have a lot – well, injuries are injuries, and, and Dak, and, and I mean, that was um, rough to watch. But at the same point, I'm not sloughing that off at all because we can all root for Dak. He's a good person. Sure. Um, but here's Alex Smith coming back, and his story is well documented, and nobody has been a classier pro in the years I've covered the NFL, which are a lot, uh, than Alex Smith. I mean, I knew him as a Niner. I knew him as a Chief. Uh, the two years just to get back on the field, and there he was playing football for the Washington whatevers. And um, that's – so there's a story on the other side of the ledger, not to mention <laughs> – I just found it interesting. Uh, the Chargers had like four games rescheduled, right, in one yeah. fell memo. Now, actually, Tommy Telesco, Buffalo man, uh, GM of the Chargers – I texted him. I said, they obviously did it while you guys were in the plane en route to New Orleans, so you couldn't complain. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, yeah, kind of. Uh, but uh, he's kidding. But, yeah, it's – yeah, I, the old we need a program, we need a schedule, you know, go get a new one every week. We should have been in that business, Murph, selling schedules. <laughs> we could sell new ones every week, right? right. So <laughs> NFL primetime is a – it's an hour. It's the most fun. If, if you put my professional tombstone, and I don't mean to put it in those terms, Murph, um, you know, way, my professional tombstone, um, way up there would be he did NFL primetime. I mean, that's a show for everybody, the football community, uh, the fans, and those who aren't fans of football that don't devote seven hours a day or 10 or whatever on a Sunday to watch Here's an hour. Are you having fun? Yeah, good. Are you a football fan? Yeah, I never was before. I mean, I it, don't think that football fans are born just in hospitals. They, you know, they, a lot of them through the years, some of the most heartwarming letters I've gotten are, you know, I, I never had a good relationship with my dad, but on Sundays for an hour, we watched and we enjoyed it. Or my fiance, it doesn't have to be a female male thing. My I don't really watch football, but I watch with him or her, and we have fun, and now I'm watching the games. That's what makes it that, – that's part of the reason why I still go back and do it. Hey, Chris, uh, what did you make of the Falcons' coaching move late last night, second coach to be fired in a, in a week, essentially? What, what do you think? Well, I know Dan Quinn. I've known him since he's been with the Seahawks. Uh, Thomas Dimitrov, I mean, these are great football people. Tough business football or sports uh it's a bottom line business they all know it 
I wasn't that surprised, Murph. Um, you know, at this point, these teams, they don't want to, with nobody going to the games and each locale is different, and I don't know what Atlanta is, but still let's say nobody or 13, 15% or whatever, you got to remain relevant. I mean, even if they're 0-5, and I'm not saying this wouldn't have happened, think about it, same with Billy O'Brien, Brown University like me, Houston. Um, no one's going or hardly – you're not even getting people in in December to watch a team that's not very good. You're going to be not even relevant in your own community until you start next season. So you got to start winning or making yourself a, a team that you want to watch. Does that make sense? Want to watch or listen to in your case and – and otherwise, nobody's really going to care if you're 0 and 8, 0 and 1 and 10. It, it, so, does it always work? You know, Cleveland, when Greg Williams took over, that was uh, one of the, the, the few that, that worked as far as a winning record uh, a couple of years ago. But, but you want to make yourself relevant in your community this year, as maybe more than ever, if you follow that reasoning. So, was I surprised? No. Do I feel I. Will I reach out to both of them t uh, today? It's a Monday when we talk. Absolutely. Hey, Chris, I want to ask you about the other major element of your ESPN uh, current gig, and that's something you do on Monday Night Football. You'll do it next Monday when the Bills uh, play the Chiefs on Monday Night Football. That's the fastest three minutes. Uh, pro football fans of a certain age, mine, yours, remember Howard Cosell <laughs> doing halftime on Monday Night Football. There's a there's a legacy there, and it's a pretty important legacy that that you fill in for, even in this day of instant uh, communication and instant viewing of highlights all over the league. The fastest three minutes is kind of important, isn't it? Well, it's important to me because it. Uh, you mentioned the, the legacy of Howard, and I thought the greatest highlight guy ever was a fellow named Warner Wolf. But um, um, look, the times are different. But when we got the NFL Murph in 87 on Sunday Night Football, this was what I did at halftime live, which – there's a great degree. It, it is going off the high board and with a double somersault, okay? So um, that was always a red badge of courage. It, not all of them landed. You know, there were a couple of cannonballs into the pool, not so smooth, but and still are. Um, but it's a – that's a labor of love. Highlights is kind of what I'm known for more than anything else, and um, as it turned out. So we really started in 87, so – Yes, it carries Howard's torch, and I proudly do it. Um, and I was Monday Night Football. But even though in this day and age, I get it, and that's the same thing about primetime, Murph. Well, all the games are available on the phone. You can see all 14. Yeah, but not on a primetime, a three-minute package of, of Arizona against uh, Carolina, for example, that you might not have seen. You saw the 80-yard touch. But it, it's kind of a – Look, by Monday, or let's go to our age, right? By Monday, what, what have we forgotten from Sunday? You know, we're, we're lucky we can find our car keys or toothbrush, right? So, um, <laughs> so you see it on Monday night, maybe, oh, yeah, that's right. The Seahawks, they, they won again. They're 5-0. and oh, So, and it's fun. Look, it's fast moving. It's 10 or 15 seconds a game. And it's, um, yeah, again, it's, um, I'm a history major at Brown. 
I like, to your point, uh, keeping tradition moving forward and, and appreciating those who preceded us. With ESPN's Chris Berman on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. Chris, you, you have uh, a special affection with Buffalo Bills fans. How did that begin? Well, you and I have talked about it many times, but I know there are people that are listening for the first time. It, two parts to it. You're not going to get a short answer with me, but then again, that's the beauty of a podcast, Mark. Yeah. Um, uh, Zoomcast or whatever you want to call it. Um, it. It really began, I'm an AFL guy. So I'm born in 55. Uh, we got, the dad got season tickets to the Jets when they became the Jets in 64 when Shea Stadium was built with the World's Fair. I'm really dating myself, but I was nine. My brother was seven. We lived about an hour out, you know, around the Connecticut, New York line. I'm going to take my two young boys to pro football. We don't know the difference of the AFL and the NFL, the New York Giants, the Green Bay Packers, blah, blah, blah. Eight bucks a ticket. They were on the upper deck season tickets. And we went. And as I've told Joe Namath millions of times, if you played 70 games at Chase Stadium, I was at 65 of them. Really? You know, now, the first champs of what I remember, well, I'm 64 and 65 with the Buffalo Bills. Now, I'm young, but Buffalo, you know what a Buffalo is when you're a grade school kid. And, oh, they're the, they're the best in my little league, you know. So, there's a little soft spot for Buffalo before the Jets even won their Super Bowl which, of course, is ancient history. Um, now, fast forward to 88. Those are the days when I used to cover, maybe take a day and go to 10 or 12 teams one day at training camp. And the Bills were about the last of my – I did a few like Miami and Tampa, and come home for the weekend, then do a few in the Midwest, come home, then did a Cincinnati-Cleveland-Fredonia trip. Um, the Bills were the last of 12. The year before, they were 7 and 8. That was a strike year, right? So I watched, and look, I am no football genius, but they're the 12th of 12 teams I'm watching, and I'm going, you know, they're about the best team that I saw. And this Jim Kelly looks like he throws the ball pretty good. This rookie running back, Thurman Thomas, looks like he might be all right. Bruce Smith, he's still young. He was the number one pick. He's really good. There's Cornelius Bennett. He's good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Fred Smurla, Scott, I interviewed him as a chief. He's still pretty good, et cetera. And so I predicted the Bills to make the Super Bowl in 88, and I got laughed out of my building. Are you kidding? They haven't had a winning record since Joe Ferguson, you know? And I said, I don't care. And where they began three or four and oh and got to the championship game and et cetera. And so, but now in 88, Murph, I was 33 years old. Those guys we just mentioned were in their 20s. So, A, I'm close in age to them. B, they were aware that this one national guy was liking the Bills. C, it wasn't. You and I grew up, we're members of the media. It's okay to kind of, if the players trusted you and vice versa, it was all right. Sure. We're all good. We're all in this. We're all football guys. We're not, 
going to break some illicit story just to break it and then find out 10 minutes later it's false and now you don't talk, to, et cetera. And Kirk Gowdy went fishing with Ted Williams, okay? So um, these guys still to this day, as you know, I can call them all. I, they, for whatever reason, adopted me as kind of a teammate on that uh, with them. And I love being the one national voice of the Bills. And that, so it was in my pocket from the AFL. And then before they were any good and a personal relationship with Bill Polian and Marv Levy and Ralph Wilson, the late uh, Ralph, great Ralph Wilson. It just, what a, pro they're my professional, the all-time professional relationship. And I didn't go up there looking to be buddies with the Bills at Fredonia in 1988 on August, whatever. It just it was organic. It's been a pretty good thing. Yep. And um, every time I see somebody from Buffalo in an airport, well, this year, no, but you know what I mean. They, I, I could be out in Hawaii and somebody can, someone's from Rochester and they want to stop me and thank me for rooting for the Bills. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yep. And Chris, I want to, with that history with the Buffalo Bills and, and your perspective, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I worry and wonder sometimes when you see uh, SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles and Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas and some of these new show places, and, and not just stadiums, but um, the way some of these franchises uh, position themselves, do the Buffalo Bills still fit in with the rest of the NFL and will they into the future? Yeah, well, they're not going to have a stadium like that, nor do you want one in Buffalo, and I'm not knocking those places. Those I obviously haven't been in them, but we've seen them on TV. I mean, L.A. is – look, for $5 billion, you ought to be able to come up with something, right? Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, you ought to. Um, look, the Bills – so the greatest thing the NFL has – we go to Pete Rosell speaking of history – is the sharing of the TV revenue. So – the Dallas's and the L.A.'s and I guess the Vegas's and then some others will always be the auxiliary, you know, all the other income there, the, the, the not level playing field. But for the most, the Buffaloes, the Cincinnati's, the Green Bay's, which is a unique deal, um, uh, the Tampa's, that's a nice stadium there. But, um, you know, it, 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 they, it's – the Bills have plenty of company where they are is what I'm trying to say, Murph. Not exactly, but you, I think you agree. And the, the NFL is not trying to have 30, excuse me, 25 teams with SoFi stadiums or you're booted out of the league. That's not – I still think winning football, a great experience at the stadium when we're able to do that next year, let's hope. And a great uh, uh, relationship in the community, which the Bills have. Uh, there's always going to be room for that in the NFL, even if the the pockets of the teams with those sort of stadiums or potential for income of the owners are going to be deeper. As long as you're one of the 32 teams, you're going to be fine if you run if you don't run your team financially into the ground with what you have. That's good to hear. I want to. I got to ask you about the 2020 Bills, Chris. We talked to you with uh, today with the Bills at four and zero, and they have yet to play at Tennessee. Just your thoughts on this great start to the 2020 season for the Buffalo Bills? What do you think? Well, I don't want to, and you're much closer to it than I am. You and Steve and, and everyone up there. Uh, so I look forward to hearing you. But what the 
when Sean McDermott made the playoffs a few years ago and that great team with Kyle Williams, et cetera, let's put that aside for a minute, but it showed very young guys, some of whom are still there now uh, three years later. No, no, you can really win here. And so that was part of, I think, last year. I'm, I'm going back a little. But last year, you could see it's a pretty good defense if they're all out on the field. Milano's my favorite player. I know he's, he always has these two or three game injuries that are football related. I, I Certainly not looking to be on the sidelines, not that kid. Um, he's my favorite guy. I, I It's just, it's like watching football from the 60s. I, I, I get it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, but he's not alone. You know, Tredavious White and, and Edmonds gonna come. I mean, you, you know the players. I don't need to say the secondary good. Um, so you're based on defense, and I know Sean McDermott because I'm very close with Andy Reid, so I, I knew him in Philly, uh, and I got to know Brandon now with this. And I see what they're building and how they're building it. And then what Kyle Allen, A, is doing, jumps in front of your face, and the playbook, which I didn't know last year, the playbook was as long as a Russian novel. They just never got past a couple of chapters, right? right? But even if some of these chapters are, oh, really? Did they run that? Oh, it's okay. I would never compare uh, uh, Josh Allen with um, with Brett Favre. I mean, Brett Favre is one of the greats and a great friend, and obviously. However, I live that, Murph. Mike Holmgren and I very close. Brett was a second-year pro, first-year starter, Green Bay, and watched almost the progress, some of the stuff running around in place. I know it's football in the early 90s compared to now would be, oh, oh, you know. Like, um, and with Josh, it's, um, it's a, wow, they're letting him do all that, and most of it's turning out great. So – and needless to say, there are more parts, as you know. Um, with a number one receiver, they make 1A and 1B and make them all better. And, and I think the Bills are built – I know defensively it's not been the headline of their undefeated first month, Murph, but before this season's done, which record points are being scored and everybody predicted that the ball would be juiced like baseball and <laughs> – we have the most points in the first month, which we did. Um, you don't need to play really good team defense. And the Bills have that as their backbone before Josh Allen became, whoa, you know. So, man, I'm, I'm not surprised with where they're going. Um, New England is still there. And as long as Coach Belichick coaches them, they're going to be formidable. But – the Bills are built on not just – this isn't just fireworks. There's a backbone. And let's at least move forward and say they have a chance to get in the postseason. Now three out of four years. No, we players, we expect to be here. Not a, whoa, this was great. You know, you're living it. But I'm from an outside looking at this is the old type progression. It got in a couple of years ago. Now, last year wasn't a fluke, and now they're better in 2020. This is the old progression of you can see them better every year. Chris, it's great talking to you, mostly because it strikes me, you know, it's been a kind of a rough week 
for those of us who follow the NFL with disruption and uncertainty and, and you give me encouragement that we're going to be all right. We're going to make it through this and, and good things lie ahead for the bills and the whole league. Well, look, you and I are only, what's the country going to be like December 1st, right? I mean, health wise, not, that's sure. not an, an election statement. That's a health statement. Um, I, you know, baseball weathered it. Admittedly, they had different ways to make up games. Uh, they said from the start it's going to be percentage, but 60 is a lot more than 16, right? So there'll be more. This isn't the only shuffle. They're going to run out of time to move by weeks. We know that. Um, so if it doesn't become what some had predicted a few months ago, I don't know that we're going to have a second wave like 1918. You didn't have me on to have a medical report, but we did study all that and the difference is they had no other way to combat the second wave than they did the first time a hundred years ago. So we do. So I think they're going to get through. I don't think we're going to see fans in the stands really, you know, other than the 15% in certain States. And if that's going to help everybody stay healthier, look, we're already underway with this. It's okay to me. Um, yeah, I think I, I didn't think so when we started, Murph, and we're only, what, five weeks in? So my gut tells me we're going to somehow get through it. And with a lot more bumps and bruises health-wise, and hopefully nobody this you know playing and being in such close quarters, whoever might contract COVID doesn't, doesn't affect them seriously. I mean, let's start with that. So... But I look. The Swami is only as good as uh, I don't know if we have the the uh, the the hospital or the medical swam, you know. But <laughs> yeah. the medical Swami saying, I think so. Is it ninety ten? No. Is it seventy thirty? Yeah. Is that what you think? Kind of seventy thirty? Yes. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that in a minute. Sure. And and. While we're all kind of not around at the stadiums or, you know, everybody listening and you're still talking the bills up there and they're going to have a, it's going to be a hell of a season for them. I'm, I'm anxious to see how it plays out. I'm, um, you know, the wagons have the more sturdier wheels these days that are being circled. So uh, <laughs> it's nice to know that they've improved the wheels, right? So uh, this, this has been fun. And I imagine it's a blast for you and the people up there in Western New York, just at least from a distance, it's it's nice conversation with your friends, isn't it? Yep. Hey, Chris, thanks for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Murph, always a pleasure talking to you. Best to everybody up there. I will see you in person down the line. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy. Talking with the man who's behind Athletic Brewing Company. They uh, are the first brewery fully devoted to the production of non-alcoholic craft beer in the United States. Bill Schufeld is our guest. Bill, thanks for coming on. We appreciate this. John, thank you so much. Excited to talk to you. Tell me where this idea came from for the Athletic Brewing Company, non-alcoholic craft beer. Yeah, I mean, it came out of my lifestyle, which I know is probably the most shocking statement ever because no one ever thinks of non-alcoholic beer. 
or used to, but we're trying to change that. I was a very normal guy, serious day job, huge foodie, love sports, love beer. But like, I, I wanted a beer that fit into every weeknight occasion that I could day drink on a Saturday. And like, as you get a little older, I was about to turn 30, like the, the beers just kind of marked that line in the sand in your day and wanted a beer I could drink all day, drink with weeknight dinners, feel good and be excited about. So yeah, it was just a small idea. And then it just kept steamrolling. What, what do you mean when you say beer marked that line in the sand? What, what are you talking about there? Oh, I was kind of like, you know, when, when you have that first beer of a day, you can no longer really drive a car. You can't work on like work email anymore or stuff like that. So a beer that kind of like flows in and out of modern life. What, um, tell me how you got started. You have this idea. Uh, how did you kind of put it into, into practice? How did you get it going? Yeah, it kind of a crazy story for sure. I mean, I had a full-time day job. I was in the financial world. Never, ever would have thought I'd be in the consumer products world or be an entrepreneur. Um, and I, I guess I had the delusional thought that this would be somewhat easy to do. Um, I did a lot of research. I thought I had a unique process to make great non-alcoholic beer. Um, in, in the past, non-alcoholic beer has always been made with one of two technologies, which are 50, 60 years old. And we kind of stripped it down to the studs and came up with a totally new process uh, ourselves. And so we're brewing fully fermented real beer that just happens to be non-alcoholic. And it's not like a single machine. It's 10 to 12 changes in the process. Um, but yeah, so I thought I had this great process, this great idea. A lot of people said they would drink it and I quit my job not realizing how many that there was no interest in anyone else besides me working on non-alcoholic beer in this country. And so over time, I found an incredible co-founder uh, who's a really highly talented and award-winning craft brewer, John Walker. And uh, we just started homebrewing in an empty warehouse and the beer started to taste good. So we built a big brewery around us. Um, and then before we knew it, we were commercial and selling a lot of non-alcoholic beer. When did this start, Bill? When did you start brewing? Uh, I quit my job in January 2017, and we launched about 18 months later in 2018. So you're at this for a year and a half, maybe two years, huh? Yep. Yeah, we've been on the market uh, about two and a half years now. So it's, it's been a wild ride, yeah. Well, I asked a couple of things you said. Um, the old way of brewing non-alcoholic beer, and you can't get too technical because we're not experts here, but tell me what that was and how your process changes from that. Yeah, every other everyone else who had and 99% of the non-alcoholic beers out there in the world, they brew a fully fermented beer and it gets to the end of the line after the bright tanks and just gets blasted through this industrialized machine, which really strips out ingredient quality, hop aromas, and leaves all the earmarks of what everyone thinks of non-alcoholic beer these days. Um, we really wanted to make sure that we weren't running it through a machine like that and uh, just making great beer. And, um, somebody asked me this question. I told them I was going to talk with you about uh, the athletic. They said, does removing the not having alcohol in your beer, does it change the taste at all? Does it change the flavor profile? So alcohol does add to the mouthfeel of beer a little bit, but it's really pretty imperceptible below like 6%. Um, really? So, for every 1% of alcohol, there's about 20 grams of ethanol calories in beer. Um, we really replace a lot of those just with like really 
in high quality grain calories. So um, where most light beers are almost strictly ethanol calories for their substance, um, our beers are 50 to 70 calories and all those calories for, come from organic grains and high quality hops and everything like that. You use that. the term mouthfeel, which I guess is familiar to folks in the brewing industry, but can you tell us what that means to you know, the layman? What does mouthfeel mean? Yeah, it's just kind of like the viscosity and how it feels like beer feels in your mouth um, on the way down. But uh, yeah, a lot of that too is just as long as there's substance with grains and hops and everything. Um, yeah, we, our beers have gone head to head in taste tests and beer awards and won awards versus alcoholic beers. And, and when you have beer with no alcohol, um, how do you get to the same, like if you have a, a craft beer you're brewing that is going to be re remind people of beer. Do you have to alter the, the chemical compounds in that beer to have it taste that way, a beer with alcohol? No, we, we use the traditional ingredients. It's super clean label. Beer is a really simple beverage. It's just water, hops, barley, and yeast. And so it's, it's one of the cleanest ingredient. Um, beer itself has a lot of great things going for, for it. It's just a really simple, clean label ingredient beverage, unlike a lot of today's drinks out there um and we use all the same ingredients we just adjust natural variables like temperature time ph and stuff like that throughout our process and i want to get to the other part of what you said about you know the origins of your company the marketing part um you were up against people who what had very little regard for non-alcoholic beer when you first started yeah i i think non-alcoholic beer had been in this tough cycle in the country where like there was no R&D, so there was no marketing spend because there was no exciting products or marketing. There was no interest in it, so no one invested in R&D, and it just was stuck in that loop. Um, we really wanted to break it out of that because every, like, I knew in my life and talking to friends and family, a lot of people would love to mix in a great tasting beer with or without alcohol at a lot of times in the day or week. Um, and so we knew if we busted out of that cycle and had a product that People didn't have to compromise on taste. They were excited to share with their friends. It wasn't a penalty box beverage and it was just like positive and something they wanted to talk about and were excited to share. We knew it would be viral and build on itself. And that's uh, kind of what's happened surprisingly quickly. Like there've been very few educational hurdles. People get it. It's just all about needing to taste it. You use another phrase I want to ask you to elaborate on penalty box beverage. What's, what's oh, yeah. I mean, non-alcoholic beer has been in the penalty box for decades. It's like if someone is holding a traditional non-alcoholic beer, immediately people wonder, oh, wow, what'd they do? Like, what's wrong with them? Like, it seems like such an exception where people would always have the label turned in in their hand. Um, we really wanted to make non-alcoholic beer something people were excited about for healthy reasons, taste reasons, marketing reasons. And... So we really want to be labels out and proud. And um, I think that's what we're on the mission to do. Well, how much does athletic brewing position itself as like a, a, a lifestyle uh, product, you know, a healthy choice product? Is that part of the appeal? Um, you think? 100%. And like we can be that beer that you can drink all day. You can drink after a race, at a sports game, um, really any any time of the day just like and we really want it to be the beer for just modern adults um but we're also not a soapbox company like the world is a stressful place and 
beer and alcohol are very fun. And um, like there are such great alcoholic beer drinking occasions too. We just want to add a bunch of beer occasions to the week, to the day. And with almost 50% of adults not drinking, we want to bring them into the beer world and like at a stadium, be able to grab a beer at a sports bar, be able to hang out for three hours and have five beers. And it's a, there are a lot of people shut out from the beer world right now. And there's a lot of days of the week shut out from the beer world for most people. And we want to just add that in. So I'm sure some people would look at this as a, a healthy and safe alternative for alcoholics, recovering alcoholics. Is that part of your market as well? Yeah. And so we don't actively market to recovering alcoholics. Just we, we don't want the taste similarities to um, can like, if anyone feels at risk, we don't want to tempt anyone back into bars or anything like that who may be struggling with it. And, but we do want to have a positive impact on, so there are 15 million Americans with documented alcohol use disorder. And um, right now they can't go to a restaurant and get a good like adult beverage. Um, and we want to give, we want to be there for people who find us on quality and want the full experience. And um, they're ten, tons of people like that out there who gave up drinking for just lifestyle reasons or tons of reasons and still sit down at a restaurant and they're basically looking at the kid kids menu of drinks and so we definitely want to open that up for everyone i'm sure you probably try to position athletic brewing company as as an alternative for those who enjoy an occasional alcoholic beer and people who maybe want a, a night off and just want the taste of beer huh for sure. And about 80% of our customers do drink. They just drink our beers like during the week or as a pacer beer, or they switch over in the third quarter to non-alcoholic beer or something like that. And it's like, once you taste it and you're like, ah, oh, like this could fit right in my flow. Like I could have two alcoholic beers, one non-alcoholic beer, two alcoholic beers, one non-alcoholic beer, something like that. And um, so, yeah, it's definitely so many use cases and just to really add to the beer world. Bill Schufeld from Athletic Brewing Company, you have a brewery on the West Coast and on the East Coast as well, right? Tell us about that and, and what that says about your plans for the future. You must be thinking you're going to be a big national brand at some point. There's, our customers have really asked us to grow that fast. I mean, we had, we built the brewery in Connecticut, which is the first brewery dedicated to non-alcoholic beer. And um, our core states are Connecticut, New York, and Massachusetts, and and New England, and um, like Wegmans in upstate New York has been an incredible customer for us. Um, and uh, it just there's like I said, there's like so many days of the week where beer fits, and so but there are because we can sell online. Also, people from all over the country have been asking for our beer, and we just haven't been able to make enough. So yeah, we opened the San Diego brewery which is about 10 times the size of our Connecticut brewery now and um, making a lot more beer. <laughs> hey Bill, I'm sure you, you know, you, you come up with different uh, types of beer throughout the year, but for, just for an example, for, you know, illustration's sake, what kind of craft beers are available with the athletic brand on it right now? Yeah. So our two most popular are our run wild IPA, which is like a very sessionable uh, drinkable IPA with five Northwest hops. Our golden ale is really light, crisp, refreshing. It's 50 calories crafted to remove gluten. So super crisp and drinkable. 
Um, in the winter right now, we have our stout on the market. And then we do rotate through all sorts of other stuff. Like we have an Oktoberfest out right now. Um, we have a Mexican lager, double IPAs, Gozes, and all sorts of stuff. And the athletic uh, beer is available throughout the country, or certainly in upstate New York, you said Wegmans, but where else is it available right now? Yep. Yeah, we have a store finder on our website, and yeah, we have beer all over upstate New York, and then um, we ship for free online as well, so super easy to order online nationwide. I get the feeling, Bill, that this, this could be really big. I mean, it, you're just two years into it, two and a half years into it. it this could grow and uh, maybe be a significant uh, player in the in the beer world, uh, just not take over, but you could, be a, a, you could have a pretty big chunk of business, I would think. Oh, thanks. I mean, it's totally up to our community. I mean, we, we're just making the beer and having fun with it, pouring it at races and sporting events and stuff. And it, it's totally up to our community. But there are five other days of the week out there where people could drink a lot more beer and have fun and have great meal pairings. Um, and yeah, it's, we're super excited about the future ahead and the positive impact we can have. Bill, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for this. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. Bill Schufeld from Athletic Brewing Company as they uh, brew uh, craft beer without the alcohol. Brand new concept, a couple of years old. And we thank Bill Schufeld for joining us. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I want to thank our guests that we had on today, including Chris Berman, Mr. Football at ESPN. We've known him for years. He's been a friend for years. We thank him for coming on the show and lending his expertise to our discussion of the Bills and the NFL, Chris Berman. Also, Bill Schufelt, the CEO, the man behind the Athletic Brewing Company. How about that concept? Non-alcoholic craft beer. Pretty interesting. Bill Schufeld says it is available at Wegmans throughout our listening area, so look for it, The Athletic. Very interesting stuff. Um, We had a good show today. We're happy that you joined in with us. We'll be here again next week, probably next Tuesday, because the Bills play on Monday night next week. We'll probably be around next Tuesday for the next edition of the show. Oh, that'd be October 20th. So I hope you can join us then. A reminder, we're brought to you by Sullivan's Brewing Company in Kilkenny, Ireland. The makers of Malting's Irish Red Ale, of Sullivan's Gold Ale, and of course of Sullivan's uh, Black Marble Stout. You can find it in stores and taverns and pubs throughout upstate New York and the Buffalo area in the Albany, central New York region as well. You can find it in New York City, New Jersey. It's in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, in Pittsburgh and Columbus, Ohio, and Cleveland as well. Sullivan's Brewing Company, our sponsors. Our thanks to our producer, Pat Feldball. We'll see you next week right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and the Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the bills and the beer.